Let us pray. O Lord, our Father, you have given us your revelation to reveal who you are and how you have acted in history to save people from their sins. We pray that you will feed us with this word by your Holy Spirit's power. Help us to see Christ in his glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn in the scriptures to Genesis chapter 23. We'll look at the entire chapter. Genesis 23. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burial place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city, No, my lord, hear me, I, I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that was in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. It has been said that the only people who know how to live well are the ones who have learned how to die well. We only think in general terms that we know how to live 
But as a culture, we certainly do not know how to die. The stories that you hear about people dying indicate they don't even know about eternal things. They have their minds so set on earthly things that when they're faced with eternity, they don't know what to think. They don't even know they need a relationship with Jesus Christ. This chapter tells us about the promises that God made to Abraham. Abraham believed them so much that he was willing to pay a very high price for a piece of that promise. As he was willing to buy the field with the treasure in it, so must we be ready to do. Well, the chapter starts out with Sarah's death. It's a real hardship for Abraham, who's been married to her most of his life. And as anyone of us know who have had this happen, it disrupts our entire life to lose a loved one with whom we have spent so much time. Everything changes. Abraham knew this. And he also knew the value of the promise of God. Even the death of his wife was not going to stop Abraham from pursuing the promise of God. The chapter focuses far more on the funeral arrangements for Sarah than it does on the actual death of Sarah. There's a reason for that. It's a reason that we need to know because I think many Christians might come to a chapter like this and think, what in the world is this chapter doing in the Bible? The reason for this is that the piece of land Abraham purchases is the down payment on the promised land of Israel. This is the first piece of land Israelites actually own in the land of Israel. The first fruits of possession. And Abraham wants that peace. Matthew 13, verse 44, says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the question for us is this. Are we willing to sell everything we have, metaphorically speaking, or sometimes literally speaking, and go and buy that field of promise? It'll look like the field where Christ was crucified. But that is our treasure. And Abraham bought this slice of the promised land, the land where Christ himself would one day live, die, and come to life again. That's the treasure Jesus was talking about in the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. It's himself. The treasure that we should pursue with all our might is the Lord Jesus himself. It's the treasure Abraham wanted above everything else. The treasure we should pursue with all our might, all our being. We'll notice first, Sarah died in Hebron. And that's the place 
where the grave is located. It's significant. Hebron is the place where Joshua and Caleb had spied out the land later in history and then told the people that they could conquer it by God's grace. It's the place Caleb himself later received as an inheritance. It's the city over which David ruled first as the first fruits of his inheritance of the kingship from the Lord. Hebron has a tremendous significance then in the history of Israel. Abraham mourns for his wife, weeps for her. There's no judgment passed on Abraham for doing this. There are some people in the Christian world whose motto seems to be, real Christians don't cry. That's a terrible motto because Jesus wept, to quote the shortest verse of the Bible. He wept when Lazarus died. He wept when Lazarus died and he was going to resurrect him two minutes later. It's highly unnatural to deny grief because death doesn't belong in this world. Grief is natural because death is unnatural. It doesn't belong here. Matthew Henry says that when a body is sown into the grave, it must be watered with our tears. Death is a terrible thing. And that's why Abraham says he wants to bury her out of his sight. Death has taken her. She will quickly become unrecognizable. Death exists because of sin. And that means that death is the true nature of sin itself. If we want to know what sin really looks like, look at death. All the decay, the corruption, the hideousness of sin is revealed in death. Scripture says sin gives birth to death. Sin is the mother of death. It's the, death is the final form of sin. It was Adam's sin that brought death into the world. Satan would have us think that sin is fun. Our sinful nature would want to think sin is fun. But the truth is that sin is just death. That's what it is. So the next time we're tempted to sin, we can remember maybe the hideousness of death. And remember that Jesus went to the cross to undergo the penalty of sin, which is death. And it was our sin that he took upon himself. And this is part of the grace that God can give us to make progress in our fight against sin. Well, we see Abraham negotiating with the Hittites about this portion of land. Abraham starts out by saying he's just a sojourner just passing through. And that's why he wants something that he can call his very own. But the Hittites already know that Abraham is wealthy. They call him literally the Prince of God. And what they say might lead someone who is not familiar with ancient Near Eastern bargaining tactics to think that Abraham had his free pick of tombs. He could just go and choose any, any old tomb he wanted to. But that's not what's happening here at all. They did not say that Abraham could just have some land for free. 
That's not the way Near Eastern people do this. Compliments fly thick and fast during bargaining, but no one's planning on giving anything to anyone here. We might have that impression just from reading the passage, but there's several clues here that indicate that no one's giving anything away, and Abraham doesn't want something for nothing here, does he? That's why he says he'll pay the full price for the cave at the end of Ephron's land. He he doesn't want to get in anyone's way either. It's not in the middle of anyone's land, it's at the end of the field. And the selling of land, you see, was a public event, which is why this had to happen in the hearing of everyone at the city gate, everyone in the village. Now verse 11, which is Ephron's first speech, he says, No, my Lord, hear me, I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it. It's a puzzle until we learn how people do things. Ephron first offers it as a gift, but gifts were notoriously unreliable in those days. And just because someone gave you the land doesn't mean you get to keep it. It meant that the person who gave it to you now has you in his debt. People of the ancient Near East offered lots of things as a gift, but then they expect you not to take advantage of that offer and make an offer with actual money in it. So in normal negotiations, one would offer it as a gift first, and then the other person would make an offer, and then they would offer, you know, they the person selling would have a really high offer, and the person wanting to buy would have a low offer, and then they would haggle until they reach in the middle. And notice how Ephron does this. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What's that between you and me? What's 400 shekels between friends, right? Yeah, well, that is an absolutely gigantic price for a field. It is outlandishly expensive. How do we know that? Well, David paid all of 50 five zero shekels of silver for the threshing floor of Arauna, the future site of the temple. Jeremiah paid 17, that's one seven pieces of silver for a plot of land in Babylon. And Ephron says, well, the land worth 400 shekels, 400 pieces of silver. But what's that between friends? Trying to make Abraham already in his debt, try having a high price so that Abraham can start lower and then they can meet in the middle. That's what Ephron's expecting. That's what everyone in the gate is expecting. So what kind of surprise do you think was in Ephron's mind when Abraham says, here you go, 400 shekels of silver for a single piece of land. He must have been gobsmacked. This wasn't the way things went in those days. Abraham completely short-circuited the entire negotiation process. In Abraham's mind, when it comes to burying his dead and having at the same time the first fruits of the promise of God 
No price is too high. None whatever. It wouldn't have mattered what Ephron said. He would have opened his purse and paid it. Ephron probably kicked himself afterwards. I could have gotten twice that much from him. Boy, is this guy a nutcase. He is insane. And isn't that what the world says about the Christian's desire for the promised land of the new heavens and new earth? You are insane to want it that badly. Why would you trade what you don't even see right now? Why would you want that when you can have so many pleasures here right on earth? Isn't a bird in the hand worth two in the bush? Why would you go searching for something that you have to wait your entire life for? Well, Abraham bought the plot, which meant he owned it free and clear. Every Hittite in the area, and you can believe this story would have spread like wildfire. Every Hittite in the area would have known, yeah, that's Abraham's land. He paid for it about 30 times over. So it's definitely his. The question for us is this. What are we willing to pay for a down payment on the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth? Are we willing to give up anything for it? That question can be asked in today's culture, can't it? Are we willing to give up our favorite sins? Are we willing to give up anything that gets in the way? Jesus says you have to count the cost of discipleship. It's going to cost you. It's not a painless procedure to get into the kingdom of God. Well, he says you don't start a building project without knowing how much it's going to cost. Otherwise, you might wind up with a half-finished building. Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Christ gave it all up. He didn't give a down payment of his life. He gave up his whole life. And sometimes, when we look at Christians in the culture, and maybe we fight this in our own hearts, we're not willing to give up anything for the church of Christ, for the mission of Christ. What is our value system? What is valuable to us? Well, what is our down payment? What is our Machpelah cave, we might ask. It's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. The New Testament uses two main metaphors to talk about the Holy Spirit and his gift to Christians. The first is that he's a down payment. 
A down payment of the life that's coming later. A life free from sin, free from illness, free from sorrow, free from death, free from all of those things. Calls him a down payment. Paul also calls him the first fruits. What's the first fruits? It's the first part of your harvest. And in ancient Israel, you were supposed to give that first fruit of your harvest to God. Because it was a recognition that God's the real owner of everything. He owns everything that we supposedly own. We're just stewards of it, taking care of it. But we have the first fruits of the future. You know, a lot of people think Christianity is all about wishing for something in the future that you don't even know is coming. It's a sort of pie-in-the-sky, wishful thinking kind of situation. But what Paul says is that that future life has invaded the present already. We have Christ already. We have the Holy Spirit already. The future is already here. The future age and expectation of the new heavens and new earth, it's already begun. Are we going to miss it? Miss out on it? Are others going to miss out on it? Are we going to, are we going to tell others about this phenomenal opportunity? The, the opportunity to be free from all misery. To put it in a somewhat surprising way, we have God as a down payment on God. We have Christ as Savior, though we cannot see Him in the moment. We look to the future vision of God in Christ, seeing Him in the new heavens and new earth, even as the Holy Spirit prepares us for that moment during our whole lives. That's the treasure that we should be willing to sell everything to have. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, You have created an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, imperishable, waiting in heaven for us. And you have told us how to get the first fruits of that inheritance. And you have given us the grace for those who trust in Christ. You have given us that first fruits. But, O oh Lord, sometimes our longing for that kingdom isn't there. And we want the gilded toys of dust in this world too much. O oh Lord, prevent us from being so earthly-minded that we are of no heavenly good. And instead, may your Holy Spirit work in us what is pleasing in his sight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.